Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Nashville, Tennessee, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And a hop, skip, and a jump across the Harpeth River from me, it's our own offensive coordinator coming off a big win this past week, the coach, Corey Burton. Well, big win, you should you, you put it lightly. I mean, we, uh, you know, for our kids, I know the opponent wasn't the greatest opponent we could have faced in the world, but to score 51 points and, and to deliver a shutout all in the same game, it's huge momentum built for our kids, so hopefully we can keep that momentum going forward as we take on the other Catholic school in Nashville. Not not Father Ryan, but Pope John Paul II. We welcome them to over to uh, over to Hillwood to to face Topper Nation, and hopefully they bring a lot of a lot of fans and put a lot of butts in the seats and uh, spend a lot of money, and hopefully we can troy them a little bit. So. Um, not to give you a little tease about one of my about a topic that I might discuss. Well, hopefully, hopefully, uh, you're not paying them to come to your school to then have them whoop up on you, a la LSU. But um, we'd be remiss if we did not introduce the third amigo in the second city, a man who wishes he could unsee Duke's uniforms from Friday night. It's our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. Oh, yeah, that's a remind me. Man, those things were brutal. They uh, they looked like a high school team. Just because you're playing on Friday doesn't mean you have to look the part. Yeah, it was, uh, it, it was pretty rough, and their performance on the field against the Hurricanes matched that. Oh, so God. we won't really be talking uh, Hurricanes, Blue Devils today, but we did have another wild weekend in college football, which gives us a ton to talk about. First, uh, before we get to our quick slants, quick recap of our picks from our preview show. Um so we all had uh, Washington covering easily covering twenty six and a half points over Oregon State. Uh, then Corey did they? I never even saw the final of that score. Yeah, it was I think forty five <laughs> forty five to seven, I believe. <laughs> nice. um, uh, North Texas uh, over uh, Southern Miss nine and a half point favorites. They didn't even win. North Texas wins and covers obviously uh so coach and i were on that one we all failed we all picked texas a&m and got uh burned on that one gentlemen uh you two both uh correctly predicted oregon covering the 13 and a half points at home against cal and then the coach and myself uh were wise to bet on ohio state and the 29 points on the roads in uh piscataway josh don't know what Mm. you were thinking going to my dad's alma mater there yeah, their defense have been playing good. I was throwing them a bone. Well, uh, you know, they could, they could use a couple more bones on that defense. So, uh, Coach, Coach, again, man, you're killing it. Four and one last week, bringing you to 18 and seven on the season against Ooh, the spread. Rolling, you, should be, you should quit your job and move to Vegas. I really uh, should. Josh, well, you, not now, but. 
<laughs> Unfortunately, we don't need to talk about that here. Um, but Josh, you, you had your worst week of the season going two and three, but you're still, you know, batting over 500, 14 and 11 on the season. I went three and two this past week to bring me up to 12 and 13. So we'll have a couple more picks for you against the spread, obviously, in our week six preview pod coming at you later this week. Uh, but first, uh, we got some quick slants. So, uh, Josh, we're going to send it over to you first. Yeah, melancholy uh, quick slant here. The uh, the pass to Joe Tiller over the weekend. Uh, longtime coach at Purdue was also at Wyoming. Winning record both overall and in conference at both schools. Purdue's all-time winningest coach. Took them to a bowl game every year but two from 2008 back to 1997 when he started multiple years, finishing in the top 25, won a league title, took them to a Rose Bowl. Uh, but his accomplishments and his impact on the game go way beyond his uh, record, obviously bringing the spread offense, basketball on grass to the Big Ten, very, very innovative. And, uh, you know, when I think about Joe Tiller, he started at 90s, started at Purdue at, at, in 1997, and uh, Iowa at the time, Hayden Fry was getting a little over the hill. The decline really started 97, 98, and then Kirk Ferentz started in 99. And we knew it was going to be a work in progress to climb back as a program, and we didn't look to Michigan, didn't look to Ohio State as kind of a benchmark. Iowa fans, by and large, looked at two schools, Wisconsin with Barry Alvarez and Purdue with Joe Tiller on how to rebuild a, a culture, rebuild a program, and uh, what Tiller did was just phenomenal. And there's many, many stories about his character off the field. He was kind of a, a beer-slinging, uh, Wyoming native, kind of a little bit of a cowboy personality. And uh, it, it just – he made the game better and made it more fun, and it was disappointing to see uh, that – ultimately like the illness finally did him in. I was sad. Yeah, very sad. He was such an innovator uh, for, you know, not just the conference, but the college game as a whole. And always, you know, I don't think you ever heard a bad word about Joe Tiller, you know? No. No, he was, he, he was one of the true gentlemen uh, in and around the game of college football. And he will be dearly missed. Obviously you saw the tributes from, a current, you know, former Purdue player, especially Drew Brees. I believe that's pronounced Drew Brees. Drew Brees. Um, you know, he sort of reinvig- he reinvigorated the whole cradle of quarterbacks there at, at at Purdue. Obviously, you know, before his time, you had you know Bob Greasy and Dan Fouts and all these great quarterbacks, and he sort of brought that back and brought the you know brought the passing game back to Purdue, and you know really had it flourish there. And you, you know, know who their offensive coordinator was when Drew Brees was there. Just to put a little, uh, just to put a little current connection. Who was uh, a coach to my alma mater, Jim Cheney, current offensive coordinator, at the University of Georgia, was the coordinator when Drew Brees was there. Well, what do you know? Um, Fun fact there. Nice. Well, uh, indeed, rest in peace, Joe Tiller. You will be missed. Um, uh, so uh, we're going to move from that. Coach, on to, uh, you know, on to your first slant. Well, on to my first slant. I, I want to talk. Uh, I really there's, – there's a couple games that uh, – one of them was just on the outside of our radar with uh, at uh, Florida State and Wake Forest was, was a game that was a little bit off our radar and a game that was <laughs> thrust onto our radar 
Um, and another game that was thrust onto our radar, I'll get to in just a minute, down in uh, Baton Rouge, uh, a game that we thought, eh, it's just, this would be kind of uninteresting. We got really interesting, so I'll, I'll talk about it later. But uh, I want to warm you up with uh, with this game. It, it led to uh, the play of the week, actually, uh, ending the game. It, it turned out to be a really interesting game, uh, a game that we thought, okay, all right, Florida State, they're banged up here. Here's a, here would be a good, easy win for them, get, get them back on track. They started 0-2 for the first time since 1989. Um but uh, Wake Forest, man, they they came out they came out swinging. Uh, it was a game that I would kind of flip back and forth to. Georgia Tennessee was on at the same time, so obviously you know which game I was watching. But um, but I tell you what, the, the the Seminoles have some major issues on the offensive line. Uh, Wake Forest's defensive front was harassing Black, James Blackman all day long. Uh, they were just. Uh, they were stuffing the run game. They couldn't get much going. They scattered a lot of their yards, and they really didn't do a whole lot. Um, and they really couldn't get much going. So it was it was tough sledding for the Seminoles, and it's going to be tough sledding all year long. But uh, James Blackman found Auden Tate with 53 seconds left on a 40-yard touchdown throw that ended up probably being the play of the week because it was such a it was a throw that was on the run. And he placed it about as perfectly as you can place it. If that ball would have been a half inch in any direction, it's an incomplete pass. But he put it right on the money. Florida State wins. They they avoid going zero and three since the first time the, the first year that Bobby Bowden took over in nineteen seventy six. Wow. So, yeah, talk about avoiding uh, the wrong side of history for the Knowles. But there's some there's some things going on down in Florida State. They got some guys beat up and. I don't know. Things are turning south for Jimbo Fisher. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, it, having DeAndre Francois out for the season is going to hurt. But you would think with so much, you know, they've had a lot of – it's been a month since he got hurt, you know. Yeah, it, and they've recruited – they recruit way too well to be in this bad of a hole. I mean, come on now. You, you, you're in the top five every year in the recruiting rankings. You can't get a, you can't get a good quarterback – well, I don't even know if it's that. You know, it's the it's you can't the fact, get the offensive linemen. It's the offensive line that that, that I that I would worry about more. You can't get depth. I mean, that's what got eventually got Mark Rick ran out of town. He couldn't he couldn't recruit good enough on the offensive on the offensive line. He started to recruit better on the defensive line, but he couldn't recruit the big the big boys well enough to to compete at a level that he needed to compete at, and ultimately it cost him his spot at UGA. And I think he's kind of learning that. And I think he's recruiting better on the offensive line at Miami, but uh, at Miami. So I don't know. I mean, I'm just disappointed in in the fact that they just look, they just look all out of sorts and and disarray. It's, it's odd. There's something that goes beyond recruiting. There's something, there's something's not right there. Well, you know, it's also tough. I think that when, you know, you have a, you know, you've got a, you know, redshirt sophomore quarterback who goes out and they're, you know, Blackman's a true freshman, I believe. He um, is. And, yeah, and, 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 and I, you know, I'll and some, I'll give him some credit. He, but also that like, I also think that speaks to the, to the, um, you know, sort of the phenomenon to put it in a nice way of, uh, you know, quarterback transfers. And if a guy doesn't win a job at a school, you know, he's transferring. And we've seen guys, you know, transfer out left and right. So you would think, well, the, you know. Well, the, the, the guy that was supposed to be the heir apparent got kicked out of school for 
domestic violence. Or and he's at, uh, he's at FAU now, I believe. Yes. DeAndre uh, Johnson, I think. Is his name. Yeah, that, that's correct. DeAndre Johnson. But I, I just think that, you know, there's been a correlation between fewer crab leg dinners and not as good a quarterback one. I mean, the, 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 it could be. It could be. Maybe they just got better security at the Publix down there in Tallahassee now. They locked it down, man. So, I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure James Blackman is is, is going to be a tremendous quarterback. He's going to be just fine. He's going to be just fine. He's clearly he's clearly got the arm talent. He's you know, but you know, it's it obviously the the college game comes at you a lot quicker than yeah, last week. I just I don't know. I'm, I, I guess I'm just disappointed in their overall team play. I figure they'd have more depth as well as they've recruited. But they, I think they look sloppy. I, I think they look sloppy more than anything. They, they didn't else. look well. They didn't. And look well. it they looks. They didn't look prepared. They, yeah, it's it's the mental prepared. flat. I think, yeah, you're it's right. the mental preparedness, I think, yeah. for them at this point. You know, I, I was sitting there with you on your couch watching, Coach, and, you, yeah. know, you know, you know, we were sort of saying the same thing to, to each other that, you know, I was, you know, that was a great play, but Florida State shouldn't need a, you know, a pretty miraculous, you know, 40-yard throw on the nose, you know, with less than a minute left in the fourth quarter to beat Wake Forest. They just shouldn't. You know, and I know, you know, you know, I think that's also a testament to Wake Forest defense. I mean, through, yeah, that's not a knock on Wake Forest. I mean, no, Forest. Through, through five games this year, they've given up 72 points. I mean, yeah. Matt, did you know who the honorary captain for Wake Forest was for the game? Tim Duncan? Uh, no, actually, in fact, it was, uh, I'm going to guess that it was uh, Jason Chappell's dad. Yeah, he was a two-time All-American at Wake Forest. Oh, I would have never known unless you've watched any Wisconsin basketball broadcast between the years of 2005 and 2009. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, that That is a very insider joke for Wisconsin sports fans right there. Um, so, and it never gets old. No, it, it really does never get old. So, um, so needless to say, Aunt Sally, if you're if you're looking for a team in your Survivor League, do not pick the Knowles. Yeah, don't pick the nose. That that is they are they are paper mache. Yeah, they they really are. You, you got to worry about them this year. Well, um, you will not be picking either of the teams in your survival league that I'm going to talk about in my first slant because they are in the FCS. Um, so Friday night, you know, if you got uh, if you were just too scarred by watching Miami Duke and having to see those hideous uniforms that the Dukies were wearing, um, and you wanted to watch a little football before uh, that big USC Wazoo game, which we will get to here in a little bit, uh, you know, you, you might if you were like me, you, you might have flipped over to see what else was on TV and saw, oh, you know, Dartmouth versus Penn is on. Um, you know, and if you are like me and a bit of a football junkie, you, instead of, um, you know, doing anything else productive, you can watch some Ivy League football on a Friday night and feel good about yourself. So, uh, and if you did, well, you were in for a treat. It was the Ivy League opener for both of these squads, and it was quite a game. Dartmouth, uh, you know, Picked by most pundits to, you know, finish sort of middle of the pack, fifth, sixth, uh, somewhere around there in the Ivy League. I had them a little bit higher than most. I think I had them finishing fourth. But, um, you know, they mounted a pretty amazing win, going 80 yards on 15 plays in the last three minutes, 11 seconds in the game. Uh, they converted not one but two fourth downs in the process to go on and win uh, fourth and goal. Uh from the one yard line with three seconds left, uh, score is 
Penn is leading 13 to 10. Dartmouth coach Buddy Tevens could have elected to kick the nice, easy 18 yard field goal to send it to overtime. But gentlemen, you go for the tie at home, but you go for the win on the road. And that is exactly what he did. Um, and they had backup quarterback Jared Gerbino in, and they sent all six foot five, two hundred thirty pounds of him over the left guard, plowed through three Penn defenders to score as time expired, giving the Big Green a sixteen to thirteen win on the road down there in Philly, upsetting the defending Ivy League champs. Uh, in for the game, Gerbino rushed eleven times for seventy one yards as their Wildcat quarterback, uh, and this kid is tough to tackle. He broke off a big 27-yarder earlier in that aforementioned fourth-quarter drive. Um, and he was just so tough for all the Penn defenders to take down the whole game. And he's a really good compliment to starting quarterback uh, Jack Hennigan, who's your classic drop-back passer. Hennigan threw for 109 yard, 199 yards and a score in, on the game. And the big green defense was very stout. Held the Quakers to 243 yards. Uh, and this was an offense last year that was number one in the Ivy League. And, the you know, the big green were just physically dominant uh, from start to finish in this one. Uh, Dartmouth this weekend gets to come home to Hanover to host Yale, uh, who, uh, you know, the Bulldogs have run roughshod over their opponents in the first three games of the year, outscoring teams 146 to 62. Penn will look to bounce back at Central Connecticut State, who are coming off back-to-back wins themselves. A great start to the year in the Ivy League. And, you know, with a big lead, with a big win like that on the road and a senior quarterback and a, you know, nice change of pace with Gerbino, I think that, you know, Dartmouth has as good a chance, you know, as, you know, anyone to contend for that Ivy League title now. They've got, uh, you know, They've overcome the big hurdle at Penn. Obviously, you know, they'll still have to contend with, uh, you know, Harvard, Yale, and Princeton, the other sort of big three there in the league left. But uh, you got to like their chances right now, especially getting Yale at home and having a little bit of momentum. So uh, a little early, early season Ivy League action, you know, really got me revved up for a weekend of football. So, um, Josh, I will let you take your second slant, and you were talking the other team in your home state. Yeah, we went from exciting football to uh, confusing football. Uh, last Thursday while we were recording, Texas went into Jack Trice Stadium in Ames, Iowa, and won 17-7. to And uh, this game was just baffling for me. Uh, I want to preface this by saying that, to me, Iowa State is a rival one Saturday a year. I really don't think that much about them. And honestly, when I think about the history of their program, I kind of feel bad for their fans. You know, Iowa isn't exactly Alabama, but we've got a couple national titles. We've had multiple league titles in my lifetime, three major bowl games, winning one of them in my adulthood. So it's, you know, it just pains me to see Iowa state have their best coach in quite a long time, have, uh, probably their best quarterback in program history, and they're just being let down by poor game plans. I don't get it. David Montgomery is one of the pe- Big 12's best running backs. He was given the ball nine times for 34 yards against Texas. He's averaging over five yards a carry for his career. Had 20 carries against Iowa in a game that they could have and some might even argue should have won. He had 22 in their dominating win over Akron, I don't get this, and 
I know I'm focusing on Iowa State, but we've seen this with a lot of teams this year already where they're just outthinking themselves. It's almost like they have a bunch of plays on tape and they want to zig when they think their opponent's going to zag. And it's just messing with it and they're getting out of what they do best. And this kind of segues to a question for you, Coach. You know, How does a kid like Montgomery only get the ball nine times? What's going on with that game plan? Well, I mean, I, I guess they, they had a game plan to throw a lot and they stuck with it. And I don't know. It's just, to be honest, it, it, you never really know unless you're in those meetings. But, you know, you got to – it didn't make sense because it just seemed like there was open run lanes. Texas is, Texas is susceptible – too many S syllables there. Uh, Texas is susceptible to the run. Uh, they could have featured one of the best backs in, in the Big 12. I don't get it. Um, and it makes sense as to why Spurrier was one of the best offensive minds in college football history is because uh, because if he saw a play that worked, he would run it again and again and again and again. There was a game against Georgia where I, I don't know if you guys know what the smash concept is. Um, but it's basically um, the, the if you have a two-receiver set, the number one receiver, the first guy from the sideline, uh, usually runs either an out route or like a hitch route or something along those lines, runs a short flat route. The, the inside guy, the second guy, will run a corner route, which is like a post but towards the sideline. And Georgia never covered it. Occasionally, he would put three receivers to the side, run a scene, corner, and a quick out. Georgia never covered it. They ran it. I swear to you, I, swear to you, I think they ran it 30 times. And they scored, I think, 20, 28 points on it. Something like that. It was, it was insane. Um, but, you know, if you have a weapon, I, I think they got too wrapped up in their scheme. And they don't realize what kind of weapon they have. I'm going back to Iowa State here. I don't think they realize what kind of weapon they have in Montgomery. And that's just, honestly, that's just poor coaching, to be honest. Yeah, and you would think they would know what they've got there. And it's not like Texas has some super stout run defense. No, I mean, Texas Texas did not want to win. It didn't seem like they wanted to win. Either. I mean, neither team wanted to win that game. Texas tried to give it to them. Iowa, said, Iowa State said, no, thank you. Here, well, you have it back. Well, speaking of not wanting to win, that's actually a great segue into um, into my second slant. So, Coach, I'm actually going to uh, – we're, we're going to flip-flop. Actually, you know what? No, speaking of not wanting to win, let's go to LSU. Let's go to LSU, Coach, because <laughs> they, they, they don't want to they, they win. Or I should say, they don't want to win. Yeah, talk about being thoroughly confused all the time. I, I think Orgeron is still uh, – he's he's too crazy to be a head coach. I don't think he can fully prepare a team from that position. He's a great position coach, great recruiting coordinator. I just do not think he's head coaching material. And that's not necessarily a knock on him. He's just a fish out of water, I think. I, I, I don't hate the guy. I just think he's a fish out of water. But that being said, here's a little here's a little history with this – with this matchup. I don't think LSU, uh, well, they might, but they shouldn't. They shouldn't bring Troy back to their stadium for a long, long time, if ever, because the last time they were there, uh, their current starting quarterback, Brandon Silvers, was actually 
in the stadium in 2008 as a fan when LSU had to overcome a 31 to three deficit to beat Troy. Um, it was the largest comeback in LSU history, actually. Um, and then you fast forward and Troy comes in. Not only do they come in and, and beat LSU, they get paid nine, almost a million dollars. I think there's like nine fifty, nine eighty five, somewhere around that. Almost a, they get paid all round up. They get paid a million dollars to come in and beat Troy. And to make things worse, Troy tweets on Sunday, "Thanks for having us at homecoming. It was fun." They, <laughs> <laughs> and they tweeted at LSU. But here, here's a couple of stats from the game. Here's a couple of things. Don't at me, bro. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jordan Chun ran for uh, 191 in a touchdown. Uh, Troy's defense came through huge and forced four turnovers. Um, they picked off Danny Etling. Uh, they picked off backup quarterback Miles Brennan as he was trying to march him down the field for a go-ahead touchdown. Um, they just – it was one of those games where, honestly, Troy had had control of it the whole way. And – you, you can say all you want to about Darius Geis not starting, not being healthy enough to start, not playing. Uh, but come on now. You're LSU. It's, it's, it's LSU, exactly. You're yeah. LSU. So I don't want to hear the fact that, oh, we're missing Darius Geis. That's why we lost. No, you're LSU. You have a ton of talent. We talked about your talent in the, in the preseason preview. Go back and listen to how much talent we talked about you having. That's so, not an excuse. Speaking of, so what did uh, he hit the, the Troy starting running back ran for 191 yards, I think you said, Coach? Yes. Okay, so in three seasons at Wisconsin, uh, Dave Aranda's they, defense never gave up uh, 191 yards to a single player. Yeah, well, this, in, this year in, they in did. A, in, in a game. Um, they couldn't stop a nosebleed. <laughs> I mean, on top of that, you know, Obviously, you know, I think Orgeron's already starting to pin some of the blame on his coordinators. And this is, I just want to take this report from uh, Andrea Adelson from uh, ESPN. Uh, you know, she reports that, you know, when she talked to Coach O in, in over the summer, he said that one of the things that he really liked about Matt Canada was the fact that he had all these different shifts in his offense. And, oh, it's you know, a thing of beauty if you watch it. I mean, yeah. he was so successful at Pitt. It's not that he all of a sudden forgot how to coach. No, but so, but what? But now his complaint is that there are too many shifts in the offense, and it's too confusing for the LSU players. So he wants it to simply he wants to simplify the offense and dumb it down. Wait, 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 Matt. Dumb it down. Yeah. Gary Anderson to LSU. Oh, 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 oh man. He couldn't even handle the pressure at Wisconsin. Um, so, have you guys heard about Ed Ogeron's buyout? It's like twenty million dollars. Close. That's twelve. Oh, but whatever. It's a lot. It's a lot of money. Ben, ben fired him anytime soon. That's that's for sure. No. Wow. My buy is twelve million dollars. I, I, I can buy a lot of gators and put them in my swamp. No, I, I tell you, what, that guy drinks Red Bull like it's water. I'm buying I'm, I'm buy me a Red Bull factory and get have a main line into my sink. I got Red Bull coming out the taps. I, I, I got a red I got a Red Bull IV that I'm going to use while watching film. <sighs> yeah, it, it's, well, it's he's like, going to be watching like film the, as a defensive line coach at UL Monroe. It, it's like it, it's almost like he 
he forgets to watch game field. I, I, I've never seen a team so unprepared and so unmotivated and so flat. Um, so Florida State, you're off the hook, uh, at least for a week. And then because uh, I, I really do think he – I know it's the lifeline of your program. I get it. I really do. I get it. But come on now. you got to spend some time on your own players every once in a while. I mean, come on. You got to spend time on your own game plan, your own film for, for once. I think he spends too much time on recruiting, and he's a head coach. He can't do that. Well, I don't get why they're scheduling Troy for their homecoming. They should do what the Big Ten does and just schedule either Purdue, Indiana, or Illinois. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if he, if he was smart, he would have. We don't have a Purdue or an Indiana. Kentucky, Vanderbilt, Ole Miss, he Arkansas. Be, he used to be Vanderbilt. Tamu. Used to be Tamu, yeah. Might be Tamu these days. Tamu would come in and boat race you. Mizzou? Mizzou. There you go. There you go. There you go. Um, Maybe after the way they've looked over the last few weeks, Mississippi State. Ole Miss? (laughs) (laughs) I think Alabama just scored again. (laughs) Tennessee? I wonder wonder how many weeks in a row that that joke is going to hold up. Um, well, uh, judging by, uh, judging by their schedule, um, it, it, you know, it, it might go here for, well, let's think they're at Texas A&M next week. Uh, yup. Then they've got Arkansas the following week. Yup. Then they've got Tennessee. Yup. Then LSU. <laughs> yup. Then at Mississippi state. Yup. Then they've got home versus Mercer. Double yup. Oh, I, I no, think they'll, uh, they'll sleepwalk against against Mercer. <laughs> say, you don't want to Mercer beat Duke in a basketball game. They are a pesky program. Uh, wasn't that like at least five years ago in the tournament? Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I think all those guys have exhausted their eligibility at this point. But uh, maybe, maybe finally, that that joke will get old by uh, when we're doing our week. Thirteen recap pod, or, or, we're the, doing our, or we're doing our Iron Bowl. Yeah, exactly. Our Iron Bowl recap after they play um, at Jordan Hare. The Iron Bowl. So, oh man. Well, so yeah, things not looking too great down there on the Bayou right now. But at least they've won one game so far this year. Uh, my final quick slant is uh, taking a quick look at some of the winless teams. By some of, I mean all of the remaining winless teams in FBS. There are six in total. Um, So we're going to go alphabetically through these. Uh, We will start with um, uh, the school that shall not be named in Waco. Um, at this point, uh, uh, they are not doing so great. Uh, they are 0 and 5 on the season and, um, you know, they, they've got a couple chances, uh, coming up. They're at Kansas on November 4th and they've got Iowa state at home on November 18th, probably the only two chances at a win this year. Uh, but so far not so good in Matt rules for a season down there. Uh, they are uh, 113th in the country in both total defense and scoring defense, only 76th in total offense and 81st in scoring offense. Uh, and really frustrating for them, 123rd in time of possession out of 129 schools in FBS this year and 108th in turnover margin. So nothing is really going well for them. But, you know, 
obviously, anytime you play Kansas, you've got a chance. But hopefully, uh, we can only hope that David Beatty has uh, his Jayhawks geared up for that game like they were geared up for Texas last year. Uh, and so they can keep Baylor winless on the year. Following that, Bowling Green. Bowling Green is one of the more pathetic teams in the country so far this year. While they are 32nd in the country in turnover margin, that is the only one of their rate stats that is going so well. They are, um, you know, worse than number 100 in scoring defense, scoring offense, total defense, total offense, and time of possession. Nothing is going right down there um, for a Bowling Green in the MAC. Uh, same can be said for Charlotte. Charlotte is, uh, you know, in uh, sort of that bottom, uh, you know, the bottom 25 in the country in um, all of those major statistics as well. They've got a ch- I think their best chance to win is going to be uh, their final game of the season. They're playing Florida Atlantic at home. Uh, Florida Atlantic has sort of been up and down so far this year in uh, the Kiff's first season uh, down there in South Florida. But Charlotte, man, they are, it has been tough sledding for them in Conference USA. Um, uh, speaking, just moving a little bit further south from Charlotte, we head down to Georgia Southern in the Fun Belt. Uh, they have, uh, they've only played three games this year, so you have to take this with a little bit uh, of a grain of salt, but they are still not looking so great. Um, they are 127th in total offense out of 129, 126th in scoring offense, 108th in turnover margin, 119th in scoring defense. Yeesh. Fortunately for them, on uh, October 21st, they get to take on our next team, which is UMass. Uh, UMass, in uh, even though we've only had five quote-unquote weeks of the season, they're already 0-6. That's how bad this program is. So one, either Georgia Southern or UMass will be – one of them will have a win after October 21st as they play each other. UMass, though, when it comes to rate stats, actually really not nearly as bad as any of the other teams – um, on who are, who still cannot get off the schneid. They're actually 66th in total offense in the country, so right there in the middle of the pack. Um, in the mid-80s in total defense, scoring offense, and time of possession. Uh, scoring defense, 104th, and 107th in turnover margin. So not actually nearly as bad as most of the other schools. They've just had a little bit of bad luck. They've been able to put up some points and hang with some bigger teams. Obviously, we saw them... Uh, just you know, about a, a week and a half ago, uh, hang around and lose to Tennessee. I think only by what three points? I think it was seventeen, fourteen, something like that. So, like 17, I said, they 14, yeah, yeah. So they play Georgia Southern on October twenty first, and uh, they get FCS Maine on November eleventh. So I would imagine that the Minutemen are going to be able to get off the Schneid sooner rather than later. Uh, one of the uh, uh, you know, our next team is Nevada. Nevada's been, you know, we've had we got a couple bad teams out there in the Mountain West, but uh, they're the worst of the lot so far. They are worse than 110th in the country in total defense, scoring defense, total offense, scoring offense, turnover margin, and time of possession. Uh, nothing going right out there. Um, but they have a couple winnable games. They have home games against Hawaii. Uh, San Jose State and UNLV coming up. So I think that they might be able to win one of those. I I think San Jose State's probably the most winnable of those games, but we will see. Uh, Next, and finally, we have UTEP, who uh, have made the first, uh, who have the first major coaching change of the season. I don't know if you guys uh, saw this, but uh, over the... Yeah, they're getting in that Chip Kelly sweepstake early. 
Yeah, well, um, Sean Kugler didn't get fired. He just stepped down. Um, so did you guys see who is going, who's stepping in at UTEP? Mike Price? Mike Price is correct. Yeah. Mike Price, come, in, come on back, Mike. Um, uh, they need him because they are, gentlemen, out of 129 teams in FBS, they are 129th in total offense. 126th in total in scoring defense, 121st in total defense, 123rd in scoring offense, 115th in time of possession, and 102nd in turnover margin. Those are not good numbers. They are, they. I, I think I'd have to say at this point, they are the worst team in the country. Um, you know, and I really honestly think their only chance in a win this year might be their season finale at UAB. But even UAB in their in, in the in their first year of a resuscitated program has you know shown a lot more signs of life than UTEP has. So, well, the good thing for Mike Price is when you Google El Paso strip clubs, it, there's a healthy list that comes up. Uh, is he going to bring in? Uh, is he going to bring his buddy from Ole Miss? Uh, hopefully, I mean. Well, if- just, just stay away from Kayak Gentlemen's Club. It's only getting two stars right now on Google. Well, you know, if, if, you, if UTEP needs a basketball coach, uh, Rick Patino's available. Is Tim Floyd still there? I honestly have no idea. I'm not really um, that up on my Conference USA basketball. He is. There you go. Well, time to move on to the on, on Iowa the- State getting a lot of love on this show. <laughs> Wow. Well, uh, time to move on to our pop quiz. And speaking of winless teams, gentlemen, that's going to be our theme today for the pop quiz. Mm -hmm. Since the year 2000, there have been 21 winless seasons by 16 different schools in the FBS. Starting with you, Josh, name those pathetic teams. Oh, man. Say the question again. Since the year 2000, there have been 21 winless seasons by 16 different schools. So you need to name a school that has gone winless since the year 2000. Bonus points if you can name the year or years they went winless. I've got, I know I've got one. Cause, okay. Because on the blog when I made fun of the uh, selection committee, I poked fun quite a bit at Tyrone Willingham. And I'm pretty sure his last year... At Washington, I want to say it was like 07, 08, 09, somewhere right around there. I think they went 0 and 11. Uh, that's correct, Josh. 2008, Washington okay. was 0 and 11. I want to say Temple. Uh, Temple is correct, 2005. They, I was going to say like 2000, but yeah. Uh, no, 2005, Temple was winless. Josh. I'm assuming USC vacating wins doesn't count. Uh, it counts in my heart. <laughs> oh boy! Uh, I think back when uh, they hired like Doge or Dodge, North Texas going with a high school coach went terribly wrong. I think they might have had a winless season. Uh, sorry, buddy. They do not have a winless season according oh, to my records. Oh no! I'm I'm, I'm going to win this one because uh, Lou Holtz, Lou Holtz. Went 0 and 11 his first year at South Carolina. That's not from 2000. That's, that's, that was before 2000, my friend. That's, that's, a, deep, that's, a, that's a deep cut. That's I a mean, nice I'm, deep cut, though. But you, you got to teach. So you keep going, though. Josh? 
we're, we're, we're doing this we're doing the spelling bee style you guys both <laughs> miss one we get to just run it back um <laughs> i'm so mad that north texas football didn't come up with anything guys um, are we missing a really obvious one are you about to give us a hint well one school went winless for three consecutive seasons <laughs> what that is news. 2003 2004 2005 what <laughs> yep where was I? What? Uh, you and I were at the University of Wisconsin. So I was at the University of Georgia trying to find the bottom of a whiskey bottle. I know. We gotta go a little. You gotta go a little south from Georgia to, to get to this school. Uh, I think I have one though. What is I think it? I have one though. I, I believe the coach that replaced Larry Fedora at Southern Miss. I think he went one and done. He went like zero and twelve, and they fired him immediately. That is correct. Two thousand twelve Southern Miss. Okay. Yes. Well you, done. UCF. George O'Leary's last year. UCF has done the feat not once, but uh, twice, 2004 and 2015. Nice. Josh. Let's see. I'm kind of tempted to go with Indiana. They've had some pretty bad years, but I don't remember if they've ever went winless. So I'm going to stay away from Indiana, even though I was tempted to, go with something a little safer. I'm going to say Florida Atlantic. Oh, you are so close, Josh. F Florida International. Yes, Florida International was winless in 2003, 4, and 5. No! They were the team that went back-to-back-to-back. Our only other uh, back-to-back, Coach, you've got the win. Do you want to go for the kill shot? Yes. What you got? Back-to-back-to-back, and then a back-to-back. There's one other other school that went back-to-back winless. Kill shot. Is it? Hold on. It's Eastern Michigan. Oh, Eastern Michigan's one of the team. Two thousand nine. Eastern Michigan did did go winless, but in two thousand, it was the two thousand and two thousand and one Duke Blue Devils. Nice. By the way, Todd Dodge. That's the coach I was thinking of at North Texas. Mm-hmm. Well, here, Lou Holtz go winless. Was it ninety nine? Yeah, it was ninety eight or ninety nine. I just missed it. Damn it. He. So Todd Dodge at North Texas went six and thirty-seven. Had a two and ten, a one and eleven, two and ten, one and six, and a big five. That's that's pretty impressive. So, um, gentlemen, uh, Duke in two thousand and two thousand one and two thousand and five was winless. Two thousand one also saw Houston and Navy go winless. Two thousand three mm. Army, FIU, and SMU. Two thousand four FIU and UCF. Two thousand five FIU, New Mexico State, Temple, and Duke again. 2008, Washington, 2009, Eastern Michigan, and Western Kentucky, 2012, Southern Miss, 2013, Georgia State and Miami of Ohio, 2015, Kansas and UCF. How do we miss Kansas? Yeah, I was pretty disappointed in that. Oh, man. I'm going to lie. I mean, I'm surprised you didn't phone a friend and have Badian on the line. You would have known. He would have told you the reason he even has a job is because they went winless in 2015. (laughs) Dang. So, gentlemen, pop quiz. I'm going to give you guys, uh, um, Josh. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a C on this one, Coach. You're going to be minus, um, and you, you get a little. And Coach, you get a little extra credit for that. Uh, for that South Carolina poll, so I'm bumping you up to a flat B. Nice. All right. Well, time for some deep roots. So, as I alluded to earlier, uh, fr- we got the college football weekend kicked off in, in fashion early on Friday night with uh, USC at Washington State up in the Palouse, 
big, big win for the pirate and his uh, and his gang of scallywags. Luke Falk, another great game, 340 yards, two touchdowns, and Josh, um, you know, you know, you know. Obviously, we were, you know, we're all rooting. We're, we're all rooting for yeah. Wazio here. Um, so, what did you take away from this one? My takeaway is good win, big win, but let's just tap the brakes. Tad, USC was on a short week. They have fundamental issues that all had us think they were overrated, and in fact, none of us picked them to win the Pac-12 for a reason. Uh, and it was a home game. It was in Rock and Martin Stadium on a Friday night. It, I just don't want this to become like Washington State just knocked off Alabama. It's a nice USC team, but it's a fundamentally flawed USC team. Washington needs to keep – Washington State needs to keep getting better. They need to iron out some of their issues. They – Still had several penalties. They had uh, not a great day rushing the ball until late in the game when USC was finally gassed. Um, you know, there's but they don't ever rush the. They don't ever run the ball anyway. They've been adding to that though. I mean, they ran the ball thirty times, and it was a pretty ineffective run game until late. They're trying to get more balance. I just want to see them continue to improve and not be complacent because. To be fair, to, to be fair about the run game, though, they do do. They, uh, Mike Leach has started implementing a lot more, you know, swing passes out of the backfield, design passes to the running backs, which sort of serve as a de facto run game for them. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the old West Coast run game. Throw the throw the flares and the swing passes and the bubble screens. Yeah, but I mean, I I, I just think that we've seen countless teams pull off the big upset and then just flatline in their next few weeks. And Washington State has some tricky games upcoming. I know Herbert's out, obviously, with his broken collarbone, but tripped to outs and next, and then head down to that Cal team that we really like. I mean, this thing's on a cakewalk, and I just I don't want them reading into their own hype and, and reading all their news clippings because USC is a, is a nice team. But, you know, again, to reiterate, none of us picked them to win. And all of us were going, this Trojan team's overrated. Why are they still... Coach, what's wrong with Sam Darnold? No. Uh, they just – I don't know. They just had a good game plan against him. I, I, I think he's – I think he is a little bit overhyped. I think he had a great second half of the season last year, and there's a lot of hype around him. He's extremely talented, but I just – there's some things that – I think the mental aspects of, of playing quarterback, I don't think he is – I don't think he's fully developed in all the nuances of playing the quarterback position. I think – Washington State was able to confuse him. They were able to get after him, and they were able to, to rattle him a little bit and rattle his cage. Um, obviously, didn't see this. Obviously, didn't really watch this game because um, scoring 51 points at a breakneck speed is enough to wear you out. But um, you know, let's, let's be honest about Washington State. They have no tradition. Their 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 tradition is Drew Bledsoe and uh, Ryan Leaf and, and the one Rose Bowl they went to. And their flag being flown at game day every single Saturday. Yeah, for like 190 straight Saturdays. But, I mean, that's that's really all the tradition they got. So, I mean, do we need to pump the brakes on them? Absolutely not. I mean, that's a huge win for their program. I mean, it's it's USC. USC has all the tradition. USC was supposed to come in and, and steamroll and squash their dreams 
And, and they didn't. Do they have tricky games? Yes. Even if they're focused, Austin is still a really tough place to play. And Washington State is anything but guaranteed in that game. But the thing I love most about Washington State is, is Luke Falk and the, and the absolute just talent that he has and just his ability to run that offense and, and really just get that thing going like a well-oiled machine. I think once Luke Falk leaves, you'll see a little bit of a downtick uh, until Jacob Eason is eligible to play. But, <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, they, they played pretty well on, on defense, and, and the run game was, was actually uh, – I, I think a lot of that was in, that, in the four-minute drill when they were trying to kill clock. So that's probably where a lot of their run stats came. But um, they're a talented team, but I don't think anyone was going to – going to crown them anything yet because it was, you know, let's be frank. They're still Washington state. Yes. They're, they're playing really well, but they're still Washington state. They're still a team that is bound to lose at Eastern Washington at any given moment in the, in the FCS uh, Juco division two. All right. Um, well, coach, um, you know, I, I came over to your place on Saturday afternoon for a little hangout, grill out, and to watch your dogs. And mm-hmm. that was just fun, wasn't it? Uh, they, <laughs> they put a good old-fashioned beat down on the Vols. Um, hold on. We, we've got some breaking fake news from, from, from Tennessee. Uh, <laughs> it, it says that Butch Jones' job is safe. Yeah. <laughs> fake news. Um God, I, I, I've never, I'm never really prone to watching. Even when Georgia is beating down somebody, uh, I never really watch it in the fourth quarter because I know they're like they're beating them down. They're going to let some of the young guys play, and I'll, I'll go see some more interesting games. But this one was like just so much sweeter because I guess because of my current geography, <laughs> and I hear crap all the time. And it just—it was just so sweet to see this Tennessee fans uh, exit. There was a joke on the boards that that President Trump uh, actually hired Butch Jones. Butch Jones was going to be leaving Tennessee because he got hired as new FEMA director because he was able to evacuate 102,000 people quickly. <laughs> That's fantastic. That is absolutely so, fantastic. Um, I mean, Everything did you, did, you, did you see the, the video of the Tennessee f- fans getting in fights with each other in the stands? Yeah, it's alcohol and and stupidity. Just they they kind of like boost each other. It's really yeah. There's the, a direct the correlation between the two. Who would have guessed? I know. Hey, Matt, I ordered you some of those overalls that one guy was wearing. <laughs> hey, man, listen, I already got a pair of red and white ones. They'll go great. Um, I'll go. Board ones, but. Uh, Nick Chubb, one of the biggest stories from this game was Nick Chubb coming back to the place where he completely obliterated his knee. Um, and he, he actually rushed for 109 yards. And he's starting to kind of – I know I was kind of concerned about him early in the year, but he's starting to really get back and look like himself again. He's so explosive, and, and he was just – you know, uh, uh, you know he just provided a huge spark in the run game, and he kind of just took some of the pressure off Jake Fromm. Jake Fromm wasn't exactly stellar if you look at his stats, but just what he was able to do on the ground, he scored two rushing touchdowns, um, and he made some key throws uh, that didn't end up being touchdowns and didn't have too big of an impact in the stat sheet. But you can just tell by watching Jake Fromm that, you know, he just really 
you know, he just really has the poise and the leadership to, to run this team. And I was, I was skeptical of him because he was a freshman quarterback. And, and I guess that was, you know, I guess that was a given, you, you know, you, you never, you never want to put too much stock into a true freshman quarterback, but I mean, that guy just something about him. He just, he doesn't carry himself like a freshman, doesn't act like a freshman at all. Um, and then that defense, my God, I, that's, uh, there was once a defense in in, uh, in the early 80s uh, led by Eric Russell before he went and became the father of Georgia Southern football, before he started Georgia Southern's football program and won three national titles. Eric Russell was the defensive coordinator for the national champion uh, 1980 team, and they were called the Junkyard Dogs <laughs> after Jim Cro- after the Jim Croce song. Yep. Um, well, I think the Junkyard Dogs are back. I think they are too. And they made, especially, they made Quentin Dormady just living a nightmare through that entire game. Oh, they harassed John Kelly, who was 85% of Tennessee's offense. He didn't do anything. No, he had 16 carries for 44 yards, four catches for 47 yards. But And then, and then when he did do something, they, they stripped him. Exactly. Um, you know. And you know Dormandy. I don't know. Do you think? Do you think that Tennessee is going to start Dormandy again this in their next game? I, I think they've got to buy this week to sort they of sh- they should. He- heal up their wounds. But I, I uh, think the Dormandy project should be over. But then again, it's Blitz Jones. You never know. Yeah, you never know. Uh, you know, plug on that a while ago. Garantano, the freshman quarterback from New Jersey, came in, and he was. I mean, he was better than Dormandy. He went six for seven, but it was six for seven for sixteen yards. So, <laughs> yeah, he, he was efficient, but he still. I mean, granted, it's Georgia's defense that he was playing against. It's it's an elite defense, but. Uh, Hold on, Dormandy's numbers though for you guys out there: five of sixteen for sixty-four yards and two touchdowns. I'm sorry, two touchdowns. What am I saying? Two interceptions. Uh, for a total QBR of 1.6. Yeah, you, you know, you know they were screwed when he threw a pick on the very first play. You know that they were bad when uh, the QBR, his QBR was 1.6. Uh, Garantano's quarterback was 3.0. DeAndre Swift's quarterback rating for Georgia was 3.2. <laughs> he was 0 for 1, but that that somehow was actually better than both of the Tennessee quarterbacks. So, not saying, just saying. Uh, Josh, you got anything to add here on this one? Well, I mean, my biggest disappointment was I said Georgia was going to put up more points than they ever have in this series, and they need to hit 45 to do that, and they only got 41. So uh, thanks for nothing, Bulldogs. Jeez. I know, right? Yeah. Uh, another good game, though. Um, another solid outing from, from your boy Hot Rod there too, Coach. Yeah, I mean, he was uh, – ever since he got put on scholarship, they haven't returned a, a kick – or kickoff at all. They mm-hmm. just kicked every single one of them out of the back of the end zone. Yeah, he, um, he, he looks great. Even, even those goofy glasses, man, he looks great. I'll tell you what, though. Uh, Javon Wims is starting to become an elite receiver. Uh, Tyreek McGee is starting to become a, a, a dominant presence in that backfield. Um, on the other side of uh, Malcolm Parrish, uh, J.R. Reed just continues to dominate at the safety position. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're just – Lorenzo Carter is just an absolute animal. Yeah, Lorenzo Carter is an animal. Roquan Smith is. I think he just tackled John Kelly in the backfield again. Roquan Smith, I don't, I, I don't believe is human. <laughs> he's, I don't know what planet he's from, but he's not human. The stuff that he does. Well, I mean, let, let's move from them to another team that has an outstanding defense. That would be the Clemson Tigers, who uh, dispatched uh, the Hokies 
31 to 17. Um, I told you this as we were grilling out. I said, I wouldn't be surprised if if Clemson dominates Virginia Tech. No, and um, they did. Josh Jackson looked like a freshman. I think it's really sort of what this game comes down to. Uh, Josh, you know, we, we talked about on our preview pod, you know, that, you know, he was probably going to struggle with Clemson's defense. And he did through, you know, through two picks was barely over 50% passing. Um, he, he had a, he had a rough outing out there. He did. And, you know, just wasn't given much help. You know, we talk about the, the Virginia tech uh, running game at times being elite, you know, they've, they've shown, opportunities to run really well and Clemson just took it away uh box just five carries 39 yards uh Tavon McMillan six carries 29 I, I mean just not enough balance there and uh even with looking like a freshman you gotta, gotta be honest you take off those two interceptions and Jackson still moved the ball got up to 251 yards when it was all said and done but the four turnovers the, the lack of balance and you know that's just can't, can't really beat too many teams being minus three in turnover margin, let alone my number one ranked team in the country. No, definitely you, not. You, you can't give Clemson any help. And and I'm not going to sit here and bash Virginia Tech because I, I don't think they were bad. I don't, th- I don't think they played very bad. I don't think they played poorly. I, I think they had a few issues. They couldn't, they couldn't find an answer for Tavian Feaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kelly Bryant, uh, they couldn't find an answer for him. They struggled with him a little bit. And then Josh Jackson struggled with that Clemson defense. And that's not unusual for any of Clemson's opponents. Everyone struggled against Clemson's defense. They're, they're an elite defense. And they do, what elite, they do what elite defenses do. They make life a living hell for, for opposing offenses. And that Dorian, Dorian O'Daniel pick six at the end of the game just kind of some further cemented that point. Mm-hmm. It was the exclamation point on the on the on the game, and you know, Josh Jackson's going to have a bright future. I have no doubt. Oh about that. yeah, he, and Justin he, Fuente is extreme. So I, I don't I don't want Virginia Tech fans and Hokie fans that are, all the uh, all the millions of Hokie fans that are listening around the world um, to our podcast. I don't want them to think that we are uh, down on them because I'm still very much high on Virginia Tech. I think they're one of the more talented ACC teams. And I still, and I think they were very deserving of their twelfth ranking. They just ran into a buzzsaw. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if you look at if you look at the the team stats, Tech more first downs, Tech outgained Clemson, Tech passed the ball to way more yards, not as good an average, but way more yards than Clemson did. It was really just the lack of balance of the turnovers and, and they can figure that out. Uh, you know, we've seen the rest it's of that. Flexible, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've seen the rest of that division from Virginia tech. I mean, it's, if they beat Miami, it's over. Exactly. Which, if Miami gets rolling, they're really tough to beat. That's true. Um, and you know, the, the, I think one of the bright spots for Virginia tech again was Terrell Edmonds. He led the team in tackles again. That, that guy's going to be playing on Sunday soon. He is a great linebacker. And, you know, it's going to be in, you know, I think he's going to be on the short list for ACC Defensive Player of the Year, um, along with the entirety of Clemson's defensive line. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to, basically the, the, all, the all ACC defense is just going to be, they're just going to take Clemson's defensive starting lineup and just publish that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, they might. Um, well, let, let, let's keep it moving then. Um, uh, the next game we're going to take a look at here is uh, Mississippi State getting housed for the second week in a row. Uh, this time they were at Jordan Hare um, and Auburn. Man, uh, they just they absolutely rolled. Uh, you know, Jared Stidham only had to attempt 16 passes. Uh, he completed 13 of them for 264 yards. So that'll tell you something. <laughs> I mean, but there's, man, there's something to be said about this Mississippi State defense. The the previous week his opponent uh, beat you thirty one to three, and only attempted twelve passes. And now Jared Stidham only attempts <laughs> passes, and they beat you forty nine to ten. Um, oh, what does it say about LSU that they got blown out by this Mississippi State? Well, two weeks ago, we, people were talking about, oh, Nick Fitzgerald, you know, might see him in New York for a Heisman. Well, um, mm-hmm. I think uh, the wheels have not only fallen off, but they have uh, they, they've combusted and have started a fire on that bandwagon. Um, <laughs> Nick Fitzgerald, 13-33, 157 yards and two picks. Not the greatest of games for him. I mean, he was still their leading rusher. He still does some good things. It's just... There's not enough really around him, but I guess he's elite defense. Yeah, and you know they were uh, Auburn was able to contain Aris Williams, who has been you know um, as much um, a, you know a key to the success for Mississippi State as Nick Fitzgerald has been this year. Uh, Williams, you know, you know, barely averaging three yards a carry in this game. You know, do not. You, do you think Mississippi State? Do you think they regretted hiring Todd Grantham? They should have called me. Before they made that higher, <laughs> Auburn gained 511 yards on 56 plays. Auburn hadn't done that in three years. Even against FCS teams, they haven't done that. It's insane. I'm I'm being a little facetious, but it was uh, God, it was a freaking offensive clinic. For it Auburn. was, it absolutely was, and they, they hurt them in every possible way you could hurt them on offense. They they hit a reverse on them. They they gambled on a fort. Uh, on a fourth down play, they hit some long passes on them. They dinked and dunked them up the field. They, they, they did whatever. Really, they did whatever they wanted to. And you know, and they scored four nine points, and they still had two fumbles too that they yeah. lost. I mean, they they did whatever they wanted to against against Mississippi State, and it was I feel kind of bad for. You know, and the other thing, coming into the year, people talking about, okay, Cameron Petway is going to be leading Auburn, but man, Carryon Johnson has really just stolen that away from him, and he is. He looks like the man there. He really does, and and it's it's starting to become more and more apparent. I knew he was starting to kind of increase his role, and he made a statement on Saturday saying, "Okay, this is, this is my backfield." Yeah, it, it it really is. And Auburn, man, they look they look very strong. Um, yeah, their offensive line's playing a lot better. You know, Stidham was under duress all Clemson game. Uh, running lanes are getting way better now. State uh, still had two sacks, but by and large, Auburn's biggest weakness is is starting to to gel a little bit better. And yeah, I mean, you, you knew they'd find their way. You knew they would be okay um, once they kind of finally got in a groove. It's it's a shame they didn't get in their groove sooner against Clemson. Maybe that result would have been different. But you know who who's counting? I I I picked I picked Auburn to be the. Uh, the number one sleeper in the West, or actually the number one sleeper in the conference, um, even even above Georgia, and, and so they could very well uh, come into uh, the Iron Bowl with a chance to win the win the West, mm-hmm. which that, that'll make things really exciting. And that's 
that's typically how the Iron Bowl plays out. The winner of it wins the West for the most part. Well, um, let's move on to our final game, which was uh, if you guys if you stayed up uh, a little later there on Saturday night, you saw a good one out in Lubbock. Um, it was a wild, wild game between Oklahoma State and Texas Tech, forty-one thirty-four uh, for the Pokes. But you know um, they were up. <laughs> yeah, that is very true. But man. Um, Mason Rudolph definitely had um, a bounce-back game after uh, not his greatest showing the week before against TCU. 376 yards and three scores. Did throw an interception. Nick Shimanek acquitted himself nicely, though, as well. Um, but, um, again, uh, James Washington is, I, I think, you know, the, the receiver there at Oklahoma State, he might be the best wide receiver in the nation. Uh, Josh, what did you take away from this one? You know, the thing with Oklahoma State is they just wear you down so much that the rate of plays, their rate of picking up first downs, they had 32 first downs in this game, and they went 6 of 11 on third down. So, I mean, they're, they're moving those chains on first and second so quickly <laughs> that it, it just it, – it's like Oregon at their height of their Chip Kelly powers where you just feel like it's – almost hopeless to get your defense off the field that the only way that's going to happen is turnovers and that's what TCU did last week but when Oklahoma State's protecting that ball turnover margin was one to one in this game it just feels like there's no way to to stop them and it's scary yeah and Texas Tech you know again you know, they got a great passing attack, but they cannot run the ball. 26 carries for 54 yards is not going to cut it. Um, and, you know, and also I was I was disappointed. Kiki, Kiki Kuti, one of my favorite receivers in the country, only had three catches, had 53 yards in those three catches. But I think, he, you know, he's the kind of playmaker. You've got to get, get the ball in his hands a little, a little bit more if you're, you know, uh, Cliff Kingsbury. But uh, coach, what 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 did you, what did you how did you feel about this one? Man, I I thought it was very entertaining. I thought uh, Kingsbury's group showed a lot of resiliency and showed a lot of lot of uh, a lot of fight. I think it just kind of shows you that Oklahoma State's going to have to win a couple tough conference games, and and that they did this weekend um, against a much improved Texas Tech team, uh, a, a team that a lot of people going into the season probably thought they were just going to steamroll past this one. This was going to be a get healthy game for, for Oklahoma State, and it kind of proved not to be. And you know, maybe maybe Kingsbury's group is showing some signs of improvement, and and maybe he's maybe he is doing a good job out there. So, um, you know, hats off to them. They they were they 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 proved to be a, I guess a worthy opponent. They put up a good fight. They just fell short. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mason Rudolph, they you know he led his team to victory, which you know in in, in a conference game that that's going to have to happen, even against games that you expect them to blow out. Like it, it happens in the SEC all the time. Uh, teams that don't deserve to win sometimes put you in a tough position uh, just because, you know, it's a tough conference. Everybody fights. Everybody's good. And, and that's kind of how it, it went for, uh, for Texas Tech. Yeah, Big 12 this year has, you know, I think Big 12 has six very good teams. These two, uh, as well as West Virginia, Oklahoma, TCU, and Kansas State. Those are all six of those teams could, you know, can – can compete with anyone on any given Saturday. Mm-hmm. 
And so it's going to be it's going to be a fun run uh, to the end of the season. The fact that they're going to have a title game this year makes it even more interesting to me. Um, Oklahoma obviously is sitting in the driver's seat, but TCU right there with them. And you know, with the amount of points that all these all these teams can can put up, you know, you never know. Um, you know, who's going to come out on top, which makes these big 12 games fun. Obviously, as, you know, someone who has been, you know, a bit more uh, raised in the Big Ten, I'd like to see a little bit more defense. But, you know, there is – these games are a lot of fun, and it is – it's exciting football. So uh, any any final thoughts here from – from week five, Josh. Well, real quick, uh, shout out to Maryland stealing a road game up at Minnesota, who was looking pretty good with their third string quarterback. Well done, Turner. Oh, oh Goldschlager. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, man, he's 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 got gold flakes in his blood. Apparently, he really does. Uh, Josh, uh, an observation I've made uh, so far this year is you're going to have a tough time grading uniforms this year because. There's a lot of good ones out there. Wake Forest's <laughs> helmets, the helmets they were wearing, they had the Demon Deke on there. They were the black matte finish with the Demon Deke. Yeah, those were those yeah, were good. They were wearing the all black uniforms with the black helmets and the Deke on them. The uh, the Cal '70s throwback right now is is my very early leader in the clubhouse. Oh man, those were. Whew, man, the, hel- the helmets the Oklahoma State wore. Also, really sick. Black I love those. I love those Oklahoma State helmets. The chrome, the chrome decals with the matte finish. Mm-hmm. And the little, and the, and the little star. Yeah. Oh, that, that that's a good look. That's a real good look for the Pokes. NC State's look against Florida State with the 1950s wolf matte face. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Always a winner. Always a winner. Oh, and indeed. they had the great pants too. Oh god, that. Speaking uh, so, so of NC State, NC State uh, broke back into the top twenty-five this week. Um, you know they're going to be a they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. Uh, you know, Ooh, I like the, Texas Tech's white white helmets. <laughs> too much good look stuff. Which is officially in a rabbit hole of uniforms. <laughs> we might have to. Are we going to do a separate uniform recap pod? A week five, uh, a week, a week five uh, recap Unipod. Yeah. Uh, oh, not, since none of us mentioned it, I'll mention it. Um, I don't want you to take this as as me being a fan of Penn State, but Saquon Barkley, baller. He's that a ball player. He had twenty he, carries for fifty six yards, but they won forty five to fourteen. He had. Uh, he, he took a a, he took the opening kick out to kick off to the house. Yeah, he had a touchdown pass of 16 yards. Um, he also had four catches for 51 yards. Um, I think he had 14 tackles, uh, two sacks, and a tackle for loss. And and he just got named the head coach at Boston College. <laughs> it, it, it'd be an upgrade. It would be an upgrade and, for And him. was elected governor of Pennsylvania all in the same night. <laughs> Well, um, I think that is going to wrap it up for us here, gentlemen, um, on our week five recap. So we'll be back at you a little bit later this week with our previews for week six. And so on behalf of our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton, and our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook, this is the professor, Matt Perkins, saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. We'll see you this weekend, Ashley.
will be in the stands. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.